the written word co-hosted by meredith may and myself sean tuba this podcast investigates the integral role that writing plays in our society and examines the unique ways that the written word helps us to gain a greater understanding of the world around us for our latest episode we're technically in a topic that's near and dear to turn it into heart emerging threats to academic integrity as a company deeply committed to education with integrity we keep a pulse on practices that may cause a student to turn in work that is, well, less than authentic. For the last year, we've turned our attention to contract cheating, the practice of a student submitting an assignment that has been completed by somebody else. Over the course of this episode, we'll dig into the existing research around contract cheating, the reason it is on the rise, and steps institutions can take to prevent this practice. We have been joining forces with experts from around the world to better understand the problem of contract cheating. And we are so pleased to have one of those experts speaking with us today. Dr. Tracy Brettag is an associate professor in the School of Management at University of South Australia Business School. Her research focuses on higher education policy and practice and academic integrity, including contract cheating. Dr. Brettag, thanks you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tracy. Yeah, my pleasure. Good to be here. So, could you, Tracy, could you tell us a little, little bit about yourself? How did you arrive at your current area of expertise? Well, it's been a very long journey, actually. Um, and it wasn't something I expected to be doing. If, if you'd asked me that I'd be, you know, looking at academic integrity and all the associated issues, particularly contract cheating, even, you know, 20 years ago, I'd have said, no, that's just not something I'm interested in. I found myself um, as a language expert in a business school supporting second language learners in their communication skills. And this is way back in 2001, 2002. And I was overwhelmed by the amount of plagiarism by the students in my course, even though the course was all about academic skills, how you use sources, how you reference, how you develop an argument, but it was absolutely overwhelming. And at that time, I, I had this idea, this very cranky idea that my university wasn't doing enough or was somehow accepting students without the right credentials or something. So I was really, you know, going to town on my own university and blaming them. But in fact, what I then decided to do was to explore that as part of my doctoral research. And I went and spoke to academics, teachers, researchers, students all around Australia at 14 different universities. And what I found, in fact, that was my university was doing a jolly good job uh, with an overwhelming problem. And it was a problem that was right across the sector. So this is around 2000, 2001, 2002. And um, so it actually changed my mindset about this. I realized my university was doing its best to try and address it, but it was a huge issue for everyone. And so I started exploring it. So I was interested in plagiarism, particularly by international second language learners at that time. Since then, I've become interested in academic integrity in a much broader sense because, it, you know, those are not the only stakeholders of academic integrity. But it was funny, in 2002, the founder of Turnitin came to my university, the University of South Australia, and I met him. And with other colleagues, we decided to run a conference. Uh, and we called it educational integrity because here in Australia, we try to talk about it in a much broader way. Like academic integrity tends just to be uh, around universities and we understood it to relate to every aspect of education. So it's the same thing, really. We called it educational integrity. We ran the first conference in 2002. Turnitin was a sponsor, actually, even then. And since then, we've run eight conferences. So every second year, that conference runs. And in 2005, I set up the International Journal for Educational Integrity, which was the first journal in the world on the topic. And it's now published by Springer Open. 
we have done so much work. I've run three very large nationally funded projects on academic integrity in all the various aspects. And of course, I finished my doctoral work as well. So I went from this idea that, you know, the students at my university are really bad and they're plagiarizing to, hey, this is a huge problem right across the sector. I joined a number of different international organizations and discovered it's not an Australian issue either. It is absolutely global. And there are things we can do and there are very positive steps we can take. So I've been making that my mission. So as an English major, an education specialist in a business school, who would have known I'd be interested in plagiarism, contract cheating, academic integrity. But, you know, the trajectory took me here and it's been a fascinating journey. Great, yeah. So, I mean, it seems like you, you might be considered one of the academic integrity subject matter experts, both within the context of working with Turnitin and much more broadly as it pertains to the work that you're doing specifically in Australia. How do you define academic integrity? What is, what is your definition of academic integrity? Well, most people refer to the International Centre for Academic Integrity based in the States, the definition that they developed in the late 90s from the Fundamental Values Project. And they say that academic integrity is premised on five fundamental values, honesty, trust, respect, fairness, and responsibility. And in 2013, they added the additional virtue of courage because they were saying, hey, you can have these values as, as a student or a teacher, but unless you have courage to actually implement them to enact those values then it doesn't mean much so honesty trust respect fairness and responsibility the courage to enact them and it's a concept that relates not just to students as i said very often when we think about academic integrity we think about students and we immediately think about students acting badly about them cheating but in fact that's the opposite of integrity so acting with integrity in teaching is important. Teachers have to actually demonstrate integrity by taking responsibility for their teaching, making sure their assessment is fresh, original, allows the student to demonstrate their learning. So they, they are at the forefront, actually, teachers. And then obviously students have to act with integrity by doing the work honestly, by taking their learning seriously, by learning how to acknowledge sources to show whose work it is. But it isn't even just teachers and learners, it's researchers. So integrity is obviously important for people doing research like myself. And more than that, I take a really broad view of academic integrity. Um, and I say that includes absolutely everybody who is part of an educational institution. So right down to the person who mows the lawn, the person who cleans the windows at the university, the person who answers the phone. Everybody has a stake in academic integrity because without it, the whole foundations of what we do in education are undermined. So we all need to be working towards ensuring that our degree qualifications or our high school qualifications, our primary school qualifications, that these things are actually real and that we all act as role models to our students so they understand what the expectations are when they join that academic community. Tracy, what do you see as the, the, the latest threats to academic integrity? So contract cheating is definitely the thing that most of us have been worried about for the last couple of years. There are other threats, though, so I'll talk to you about those in a minute as well. But, but contract cheating is where a student outsources their work to a third party. Now, traditionally, when people thought of contract cheating, they just thought of students paying somebody else to do their work. And, of course, when we think of somebody paying another person to do their learning, it sort of hurts. It, like it hits you in the chest. You just, it just feels like such an egregious thing to do. Just so, so cynical, just to completely not care about your learning at all to pay someone. So I think people really focused on that to begin. But my colleague Rowena Harper and I and our, and our partners on our current research have taken a broader view because 
does it matter actually? I mean, like I say, sort of in our, in our hearts it matters, but in terms of the learning, does it matter whether somebody's being paid or whether you're just getting your mum to do it? Whether you're getting your sister to do it, your friend, a former student, yeah. somebody you met in the bus, whether there's money exchanged or not to us is irrelevant because the bottom line is the student is not achieving the learning. They are outsourcing their learning. We are giving credentials for work that actually hasn't been done by the student. So the student hasn't actually embraced the opportunity to learn. And then even more than that, I just talked about the values of academic integrity. When you outsource your learning, that is just about the biggest breach you can think of. So for us, we take this broader view. If you outsource your learning to a third party, we consider that to be contract cheating. And we recognize people say, well, what's in it for the other person? There's all sorts of things in it for the other person doing it, even if there's no money exchanged. It might be an emotional connection. It might be boyfriend, girlfriend. It might be a sense of guilt or responsibility. It might be, I'm hoping to do this so that they'll do something for me in the future. So contract cheating is where you outsource your work to a third party. It is the thing that most people are very worried about lately because it's in our face so much, particularly the commercial aspect. Again, um, we see, we've seen over the last few years the proliferation, really, the proliferation, I can't even tell you, it's just like they're multiplying daily, of commercial cheat sites mm -hmm. that make it so easy to outsource your work. Okay, it's one thing to ask your mum, it's one thing to ask your friend. You're going to have to actually somehow negotiate with them and spend some time discussing it. But you can go online now and there are literally hundreds of contract cheating sites which require almost no engagement even with the topic by the student. You just upload your assignment, they'll tell you what the price is and they'll do it for you. And, you know, I think that's what's upsetting most of us and because we see it all the time and we see it advertised. So it's not just the proliferation of these sites. They're incredibly marketing, marketing savvy. So they use social media, uh, Twitter, WeChat, uh, Facebook. They're in, uh, they, they infiltrate university systems. We've had situations where our students receive mass emails as if it's coming from the university. Mm. So it's, it's astonishing. So that's, that's the thing that we worry about, that students perhaps that would never have considered outsourcing their work are getting bombarded by all this marketing. And it's not just on social media, it's not just an email. Posters appear on campus, on the backs of toilet doors, in the lecture theatres, in the cafes all around campus. And it starts to feel like, hey, this is how work's done now. So we're worried that those students who never would have considered it suddenly might start to, well, not suddenly, gradually over time with enough bombardment in every aspect of their lives, might start to say, hey, oh, that's, that's what happens now at university or at high school or at college. Mm -hmm. So that's our concern. Yeah. So... so so Tracy, why do you think contract cheating is on the rise then? Like what, why now more than ever are we, are we seeing so many examples of this? Well, it's an interesting question to say, is contract cheating on the rise? We don't have any baseline data to say that it is because we, we didn't know what it was before. Our sense of it is certainly that the contract cheating sites, they are on the rise. We've never seen so many of those. And I guess we can then make an assumption that if there's that many of those companies, there must be a market for it. So we're assuming it's on the rise, but why are we seeing this everywhere? Look, I think it's a complex phenomenon. Mm -hmm. uh, my colleague Rowena Harper and I, over the last couple of years, have been talking about a perfect storm, which has grown over the last couple of decades. So I mentioned I was interested in plagiarism in the you know, early 2000s. That 
emerged in Australia anyway because of huge big push for internationalization for basically grabbing international student fees to prop up an underfunded system, but also around the same time, the massification of higher education. So I'm speaking in the Australian context, but it's global, you know, for good reasons, many good reasons and well intended, we've opened up higher education to a very broad range of students. So we now have students who might never have entered university before. They come from disadvantaged backgrounds, perhaps, or they didn't study when they were younger. Our second language learners, mature age students, people with mental and physical disabilities. All of these things are great. We want to open up education to everyone. But what happens then is if you have a very diverse student body, you need to really put resources into supporting those students, especially mm -hmm. if they don't have the academic background that we might have expected 20 years ago. So we have increasing numbers of international students most of whom have come with a second language, and I'll talk about that in a moment. So struggling in a new cultural environment, struggling with the language on their own, not understanding the norms of this particular academic culture, that's one thing. We also have a range of other students who might not be as educationally prepared as they could be. They're not getting the support they need. We have increasing competition. We have decreased funding for higher education. So people are paying more. Students see themselves as customers. They pay an awful lot of money. Now, when I went through, obviously I'm older than both of you, uh, but when I went through university many years ago, the government paid me a small, a small stipend to go to uni because I, it was a very small number. I think back then it was two or three percent of people got into university. When you did, it was very difficult. And there was this recognition that you were part of an elite. Now, whether that's good or not, and you'd get a scholarship so that you could succeed, right? You didn't pay them to study. The government paid you because there was this recognition you were going to be you know, contributing to society. Well, we've flipped that. And now our students are paying us, so they see themselves as customers. So they're starting to see things in a transactional way. Then on top of that, we've got scandals all around, politicians, scandals in, uh, of journalists and, and, and plagiarism all over the place. Uh, and we see no repercussions for that. So that's another thing. So there's very few role models. We have seen a change in our culture too, because it is so diverse. We don't have one set of principles that everybody follows. So that's challenging. And then on top of that, I mean, I could just go on forever. It's actually very difficult for students to even imagine what sort of jobs they might have when they graduate. Uh, and the jobs that we are preparing them for now in five years won't even exist. So there's this sense of sort of despondency and what does this really mean anyway? Uh, and we keep telling our students, you've got to have a degree or you won't get a good job. So lots of mixed messages, but not a lot of messages saying, hey, come to university, come to college. You know, when you're at high school, here's this opportunity to learn and make your contribution to the world. This is gonna change you, it's gonna change society. What are you interested in? What are your passions? We don't hear people talk like that anymore. We're like, you've got to get a degree so you can get a job. We don't know what that job is. It's going to be very competitive. You've got to pay an awful lot of money for it. So this perfect storm is huge. It isn't just because students are acting badly. It's like this whole thing has come together and created a situation where learning is now seen as just another commodity to buy. So I mean, in, in light of all these these factors contributing to this perfect storm for contract cheating, what can higher ed institutions do to create a culture of sustainable academic integrity? Well, our recent research, uh, I've mentioned it a couple of times, it's the Contract Cheating and Assessment Design Project here in Australia, uh, which we're, you know, three quarters of the way through. We collected the largest data set on this specific topic. 
that we're aware of in the world. So we have over 15,000 student responses and over 1,200 staff responses. Very few people have asked staff about that. We had some pretty interesting findings and I encourage people to go to that website, Contract Cheating and Assessment Design. Um, but what we found is, you know, we, we could locate and we could tell you, you know, which students are cheating and which discipline and all that stuff, but through some very detailed statistical analysis with some support from one of our colleagues, Michael Burton, at the University of Western Australia, we found, in fact, there are three factors which will are predictors of contract cheating. And the first one is, and it's no surprise, if a student is a second language learner. Now, this is important to note, it's language, not culture, because we also ask the question of our second language learners and our first language learners. And we differentiated between domestic and international students as well. There's many international students and not second language learners. So those two groups, we asked them how wrong they thought they, uh, certain behaviors were, a range of contract cheating behaviors, from providing an assignment to somebody else, to getting an assignment to submit, to cheating in exams, to exam impersonation, the whole range of contract cheating behaviors. And we found there was no discernible difference between any of those groups. Domestic and international students, they all agreed it was wrong. Second language learners and first language learners, native speakers of English, all agreed it was wrong. So it's not that our international students are saying, hey, we'll do this because it's okay in our culture, not at all. But what our factor analysis did show was that second language learning is a predictor of contract cheating because the students are struggling to manage their learning in a, in, in a second language. It's, it can't be surprising. We've got to put real resources into our second language learners. We have to make sure that they get enough foundation training, enough academic skills training, enough induction to the new academic environment. We need to ensure that the International English Language Test Score is at a sufficient level so that we can say hand on heart, if you get that score, you will be able to succeed. We don't believe that. Most of us working in this area, the IELTS is six. And IELTS organisation themselves say that that is woefully inadequate for academic study, but that's the level. So we need to raise that level. We need to put real resources into our international students. We need to provide foundation programs and we need to induct those students into all the, the academic practices to help them demonstrate integrity, referencing, mm -hmm. using sources, paraphrasing, note-taking, finding sources, mm -hmm. uh, manipulating language and so on. So we know from decades of research that second language learners are struggling. Not because they think it's less wrong, but they're struggling because they can't manage the language. How many surveys, how much research has to show that before universities, colleges, high schools put real resources into that group of students who are basically providing enormous fees in the Australian context and propping up our underfunded system. So that's the first thing we can do. The second thing that our research found is that when students perceive that there are opportunities to cheat, whether there are opportunities is another thing. If they perceive there are opportunities to cheat, then they're more likely to do so. So there's some things that our teachers can do. They can, you know, they can change the assessment from semester to semester. They can make sure the assessment's original and fresh and engaging. They can get to know their students. So if you don't know your student, how would you know if they're contract cheating, if you've never seen any of their work? You can really encourage a relationship with your student. You can be available to your student. You can make sure that the student really understands the assessment requirements. So if the student thinks you don't care about them, you don't even know who they are, they're gonna perceive there are opportunities to cheat. So we can work on that. And I would say we need to think really clearly about the relationship between the teacher and the student. Because I think at the moment, that is not something, that, that's just gone out the window. We have hundreds and hundreds of students. Most of them don't even come to class. How can the teacher know them? I, I actually think a very simple thing would be to make face to some sort of face-to-face -face 
contact between teacher and student mandatory. Mm. Now, in the Australian context, it's not compulsory to attend class. I'm not suggesting we go back to that, but we have this idea that adult learners are responsible for their own learning and online learning is the big thing. There's got to be a way of really engaging legitimately, authentically with your student. We know that. Every teacher in the whole world knows that that's important. Let's get back to that. And the third, third element that our study found is that, that will predict contract cheating is when students are dissatisfied with the teaching and learning environment. So if they perceive, it goes back again, if they perceive the teacher doesn't care, if they're overwhelmed by the hundreds of people in the lecture theatre, if they see the, the task as less than meaningful, as just something to get done, you know, they don't, they're, they're dissatisfied, for example, with group work. They put a lot of work in and everybody gets the same grade. They'll be like, ah, oh, what am I doing this for? You know, so we want to make sure that our students are having a satisfying learning experience because if they're not, they're not going to be engaged in their learning. So there are some things we can do. We've identified these things. It's time for educational institutions at every level to say, we know what the issues are. Let's, let's start putting the resources in and making, making this a priority and stop blaming the students for being these bad students who outsource their work and saying, let's take some responsibility in our own context. And that means supporting teachers, for example. And like I said before, it's, it's recognising that this is not an issue which is the fault of the students. It's part of this perfect storm, this huge, big conflation of things that have come together, a phenomenon which is very complex, which we have contributed to, and we all have a responsibility to take our small part. Now, one example of somebody taking a small part is we work closely with our facilities management staff here, those who, the grounds people. And they had seen all those cheat sites up around the campus all the time and didn't know what they could do. They're like, my goodness me. I went and talked to them and said, please, every time you see those, rip them down mm-hmm. and come and bring them to me and show them. I will, I will let our legal people know. They'll start saying cease and desist. We'll keep an eye out for the people on campus and those posters won't be there. But, you know, it's absolutely everybody. If we care about learning, if we care about education, if we actually think that what we're doing matters and has the potential to transform individuals and societies then let's actually all work together to make this happen yes i love it collaboration is key yeah and and protecting what's valuable you know protecting education exactly yeah it seems like a simple thing right and and we have all these people doing their various tasks in this huge big machine called the university or the college or the high school or the institution And they're all just doing their little thing, not understanding that everything we do has to work towards academic integrity because that's the thing that is so fundamental to everything. Otherwise, I say to staff, don't bother coming and teaching then. Just when you get your class list, just put a grade next to them (laughs) and hand out the piece of paper at the end of the semester. If, because if, if you say you don't care about this cheating and you're not going to look at the Turnitin report or you're not going to notice the student's work is vastly different from last semester, if you're not going to actually put that effort in into getting to know your student, then that's all it's worth, nothing. You, don't, you might as well just save yourself time. I feel pre- pretty charged up. Me too. Yeah, I, I feel like I gotta go out to the streets. I gotta charge with the message. Yeah, I will. One more thing I would say, uh, which I think is important too, you know, I've talked about all the various stakeholders in higher ed or, or in education generally, but we all need to get on the same page. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. you know, because we don't all have the same understandings of what academic integrity is, why it's important, and what we can do in our own sphere of influence. So real training, mm -hmm. put real resources into training everybody. And um, I'm working with EPGM, which is at Oxford University Press right now, to develop an online training program for students and staff. Uh, we've got people from all around the world, and we've also got a, uh, an American version being developed by Trisha Bertram Gallant, who I know you know. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to have an American version and a UK Australasian version. Ours will be ready next year. And the idea is to get universities right across the sector to implement that before students and staff even begin their job. The staff module, you can't, even, you know, it's part of your induction. Students, you can't enrol unless you've done this training. Now, it won't solve the problem. It's not going to be the be all and end all, but at least we're starting on this level. We're all starting on the same page. That would be something. That would be an important piece of the puzzle, I think. Definitely. Absolutely. Well, Sean's all fired up. I am as well. And I'm sure our listeners are. So what can our listeners do if they want to learn more about your recent research or publications? Where can they go to find that information, Tracy? Well, it'd be pretty easy. Just do a Google Tracy Bretag. That would be quite easy. I think it'd all just come up. Um, you can look at www.cheatingandassessment.edu.au. You can look up the Exemplary Academic Integrity Project, which was my previous one. That'll just come straight to your site. You can look at the Academic Integrity Standards Project, AISP site. Again, if you'll do a Google, you'll find that. I recommend that you read the Handbook of Academic Integrity published by Springer. You can get it online. That is a truly a definitive text with voices from all around the world. You can go to the International Journal for Educational Integrity. Like I say, we've just uh, in the process of finalizing a thematic collection on contract cheating. And I hadn't had a chance to mention this new emerging threat, which is machine-based plagiarism. We're doing a new thematic collection on that. So machine-based plagiarism is the way we're defining it is where students use translation, paraphrasing tools, article spinners to, it's not that they're going and getting a third party and outsourcing it in that way. They're just outsourcing it to a piece of machinery, to some software. You stick in an article and you article spin it and it comes back a different paraphrase and you submit that as your work. And we think that that's an emerging threat. Mm. Uh, and students say, like, it is my work. It's still my work. Uh, well, no, it's not your work. You just clicked. It took one second for that software to spin it for you. So we're doing a thematic collection uh, this year on that because we, you know, very few people have been writing on that and understanding that threat. Um, and one of the problems with that is second language learners will put it through the spinner, put it through the paraphrasing tool or the translation tool. Their language is not at a sophisticated level high enough to even recognize that what comes back is gobbledygook. Mm, it's yeah. absolute rubbish. Mm. Um, so then they submit that work and then the lecturer's like, what, what's happening here? So that's the new threat. I think it's, it's sort of part, it, it overlaps with contract cheating, but it's a little bit more complicated in that there's no third party. There's just machine. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a fun thing to keep an eye out on. The IJI um, publishes throughout the whole year. That's the International Journal for Educational Integrity. Um, we're also, you know, constantly researching. We're in the process right now of putting a new proposal. We've discovered some cheating behaviours in engineering, which we're going to be exploring through a new research project. So, you know, watch this space. I think there's a lot to learn. Um, academic integrity, like I say, is not just about students plagiarising. It is about a whole of university, whole of um, institution response. And there's so much to learn. Thank you so much, Tracy. I, I am coming out of this room and I am going to uh, rally the troops. Um, yeah. You're in the and right place to do it. I, I, I think so. Yeah. I think this, this might be the right, right organization. But uh, thank you so much for, for sharing your thoughts. And um, I, I, 
hopefully speak on the behalf of the audience when I say that we all greatly appreciate it. Yes, definitely. Absolutely my pleasure. Always, always a pleasure working with you guys. The Written Word is sponsored by Turnitin. It's hosted by Meredith May and Sean Tupa. This episode was written by Peter Kerr and Amanda Zelly's Hand. Produced by Sam Swink. Creative direction by Sebastian Caceres. Illustrations by Lydia Ortiz. Music by Gianni Izzo. Many thanks to our special guest, Dr. Tracy Brittag.